All right, back on the Young Turks, got a couple of great guests for you guys, so let's get started. Joining me now is David Dennis Jr., he's a senior culture editor at News One. David, welcome to the Young Turks. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. So, uh, David, you write about a, a, a variety of issues uh, and read uh, some of your recent articles. Uh, the one I want to start with is uh, about Dave Chappelle. Uh, because we were just talking about it on the show in one of our post games or something, and and I, and I and I watched uh, his Stick and, Sticks and Stones special on Netflix too, and so I feel as conflicted as as you you sound a little bit in the article as well, right? Because I, I, I love Dave Chappelle and I want to root for him, but I, I felt it wasn't that funny, right? And and I want to get into why, but but what what's your take on what's happening with Dave Chappelle? So Dave Chappelle is somebody who uh, is one of the most brilliant comedians that we've ever seen, uh, uh, has been my favorite comedian for a, a long time. And one of the things that sort of elevated him to this pop culture uh, phenomenon was that he left the Chappelle show when it was widely popular in the early 21st century because of the fact that he refuses to sort of listen to audience. He does not do what people tell him to do. And we've seen sort of the uh, inverse of that with this Netflix special in that he is reactionary. He is making jokes about uh, cancel culture, quote unquote, about the Me Too movement, about the LGBT movement, mostly because he feels as though um, he's reacting to the audience. The audience is upset with this and he wants to prove to them that he can be funny. And the, you know, the sad part about it is that those are the jokes that really were the least funny. I mean, we can argue about if you're offended or not. And uh, that's really, you know, for the, those communities to to say, and they, yes, are offended, but also those jokes just really are not funny. I mean, he has these moments where he is really profound and really brilliant when talking about opioid addiction. He's hilarious talking about Jesse Smollett. But when he calls the LGBT community alphabet people, uh, it's just not funny. And then he goes into this Chinese um, impersonation that is based on these old stereotypes, it's not creative, it is below him, and it's really what makes the special very uneven and ultimately disappointing for a lot of people to watch. Yeah, but David, I think it's a broader phenomenon than Dave Chappelle, right? Mm -hmm. So like a lot of the right wing doesn't get it. They think, oh, you guys want all the comedians to be politically correct, etc. No, I loved how irreverent and oftentimes offensive Dave Chappelle was on his show on Comedy Central. Because it's comedy, we get it, right? And and I, look, a lot of people will disagree with me, but uh, but I I think that um, why do I keep blanking on his name? The guy who did Office, the British guy. Um, thank yeah, you, Ricky yeah, Gervais. I, yeah. yeah, Ricky uh -huh. Gervais. Uh, I saw a special. Uh, I thought it was hilarious, even though he said the same kind of offensive things as Dave Chappelle did. But he said it in a funny way. But even he's lost his mind a little bit, and I think it's Twitter that's driving them crazy. And so they keep saying like, hey, don't say those jokes or those jokes hurt my feelings. And it consumes them. Bill Maher, almost all these comedians are like, how dare you? And they're all collectively yelling at the audience. It's such a weird phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, you think about comedians and uh, the ideas that the audience has, has thin skin. The audience can't handle the truth. But when the audience tells a comedian, hey, that joke isn't funny, they sort of go into these rants and tantrums, right, about telling us that something is funny. Well, what makes a great comedian 
is somebody who can read the room, right? If you're in a room and people aren't laughing, you need to adjust your material. That's why you tour your material across the country. The problem is these comedians are refusing to listen to the audience. The audience isn't laughing, then you're not doing a good job. You can't tell an audience that something is funny if they are not laughing. And these comedians seem, you know, have seem to be having a difficult time adapting to this climate in which you get a real time feedback and you get a little bit more feedback and 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 more um, real realistic feedback from a wide array of audience than you're used to getting. The the only solution for a comedian is to adjust your material, and make people laugh. And if people aren't laughing, then that's really a me problem. If you're a comedian, yeah, and that's why I thought your piece was so interesting because. Uh, that's why, like you pointed out in the article, that's why people, comedians, go and try out their stuff uh, all across the country because they want to make it better and better and better. That's why it's a craft. That's why it's a profession. And so, you know, and a lot of comics get uh, annoyed if amateurs come in and think, "Oh, I'll just do it." No, no, you got to practice. You got to hone it. You got to see how the audience reacts. And if the audience doesn't react well, yelling at them doesn't really help. And I, and I felt like Dave's entire. Um, you know, stand up there was explaining why a joke is funny, which is like the least funny thing on the planet, right? <laughs> so, guys, just let it go, move on with your life. Yes, did we hurt your feelings? Just, I mean, it's so ironic because they're offended, and hence they're like, "Oh yeah, how dare you offend me? I'm going to offend you even more." Okay, well, how about you don't take offense and move on with your life? All right, so that's Dave Chappelle, but I, I, I love what you wrote about it because I, I thought it was really a trenchant observation about not being able to read the room. Uh, so now let's go to Jay-Z. Um, so you wrote about him as well. So for folks who don't know, give us a little background here. Uh, go through Jay-Z's history a little bit in terms of um, capitalism versus activism, and then we'll get to his deal with NFL. So Jay-Z has an interesting rap career, right? Jay-Z has spent most of his career, like a lot of rappers, sort of talking about the ways in which you can better yourselves through capitalism, through making tons of money. I mean, that's part of what makes music great and a lot of what makes hip hop great is this idea that it's aspirational, right? And Jay-Z has always had these dreams that sort of surpass uh, a lot of what the average rapper had, right? In 2001 on the blueprint, he rapped about being a hundred millionaire, which at the time was sort of unheard of, right? He was talking about his clothing companies and his businesses and owning Def Jam. And, uh, you know, Jay-Z has gone on to be a part owner of NFL teams. And, uh, you know, his central uh, goal has been capitalism. And for him, he said in 2013 that his presence is charity. The idea that if he can open doors, for himself monetarily, then that can sort of have this Obama effect of allowing people to believe that black folks could be in these rooms, right? Uh, the criticism is that Jay-Z has not had as much of a focus on activism as we would like. That has sort of changed in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement when he was doing a lot of things to sort of combat criminal justice. Um, he was sort of helping uh, Meek Mill get out of jail. He was offering lawyers for 21 Savage. He was, you know, really trying to seemingly trying to affect some real change um, outside of these systems, um, and it's sort of an impact of the way we look at him. We sort of look at Jay Z as more of an activist now. When he does this deal with the NFL to sort of quote unquote uh, bring more social justice to it, uh, it's sort of a, a twist in the back. I mean, he was wearing Colin Kaepernick jerseys. He was. Uh, 
you know, going against the NFL, saying we don't need you. He was telling people not to perform at the Super Bowl. And now he turns around and does this deal. And it's an idea that this is the capitalist Jay-Z rearing his, you know, for a lot of people, rearing his, his ugly head again. Yeah, so I, I, my guess is, and you talk about this on in the article too, like that he, you know, of course he'd defend himself. Although, my God, that comment of my presence is charity, I understand it ideologically, but man, does that sound smug. <laughs> it sounds unbearable. Like, I yeah. have graced you with my presence. That alone is charity. Yeah, uh, and I think he sort of realized that later on. I think he sort of has, has tried to, I think that had a profound impact in his career. I think he saw the backlash to that. And and I think that sort of is one of the reasons he was trying to be more involved with, with Black Lives Matter the last few years. Well, okay, let me actually put it this way, uh, David. So when I look at the whole history of Jay-Z as you laid it, laid it out in your article, uh, I thought, I wonder if the activism part was just because that was hot. And, uh, and you know, it kind of like Nike supporting Colin Kaepernick. It was good for business. And so being like, if he wasn't, an activist and didn't support the African American community, it would have been bad for business. And then he lands this monster deal with the NFL to basically whitewash their record. And then you begin to think, well, now when I put it all together, it looks like maybe it was all about business all along. Yeah, I mean, the NFL deal really sort of has to, you know, make us give Jay Z's whole career another look. I was somebody who was very critical of Jay-Z for the President's charity idea and the idea that he believes that if he makes the most money possible, that that will somehow uh, trickle down to the rest of the African-American community. Um, but I was leaning away from it. I was sort of, you know, all right, you're doing all this stuff um, in the last few years. You're providing lawyers in secret to Michael Brown's family and all this stuff. But now you look at the NFL deal and, and it, it does lend itself to some cynicism here. Like how much of that was legit? How much of that was uh, Beyonce pushing you to do that? Because we know that Beyonce's uh, record is a little bit different than Jay-Z's. I mean, she's been more prone to these, these activist movements. And then you, you wonder if he was just positioning himself for more leverage for a deal like this with the NFL. Yeah, and that's that's disconcerting. Now, it doesn't take away the good stuff he did because that that stuff is really valuable, and I'm super glad he did it. So, uh, but last thing about this, David, how much more responsibility do African American athletes, celebrities, etc., have? Uh, because I remember I got upset at uh, LeBron James for not speaking out more when he was in Cleveland and Tamir Rice was shot. Now later he went on to to speak out more about other events, right? But I'm like, look, if you sit out a game, everyone in the country is going to talk about Tamir Rice. If if you don't if you don't say anything, well, Tamir Rice goes away, except for the people who are either in that community or care about that community, right? So, but then on the other hand, is that fair to put on all African American celebrities and and, and athletes? Um, I don't think it's necessarily fair to put on all the African American celebrities because. I mean, you, people have to fight their battles as they come to them. I mean, every little bit helps, right? And and it's not really fair because we do not put that same pressure on white celebrities when you know thinking about the murder of Tamir Rice is a white supremacist structure problem in which white folks need to address just as much as black people. So putting that on black celebrities, uh, I, I believe, is unfair. What makes Jay Z's position? Um, unique is the fact that he had positioned himself as somebody who was sort of anti-NFL and aligned with Kaepernick. He laid in front of 
the world um, and, and made this stance of solidarity. And so doing this um, is yes, definitely um, seems like a betrayal and seems like something that is letting everybody down. But I think in general, um, you know, we have to sort of uh, allow these celebrities to sort of come to this on their own and whatever they can do um, is great. I mean, LeBron James cannot be a catch all for all of these issues. Whatever he's doing, the school that he does is great. Um, the issue uh, with Jay-Z was that it, it, at the time it seemed like he was doing nothing, right? So uh, we have to sort of meet these athletes and these celebrities where they are. But also, if we're going to put pressure on people, I think we need to put pressure on everybody because this is a problem. You know, racism, uh, homophobia, all these things are problems that affect everybody. And I think everybody needs to speak up about it. Yeah, and, and I don't want people to get me wrong. LeBron's done some great stuff since then. Uh, and, and it's incumbent on all athletes uh, and anybody with a platform to speak out. Uh, he spoke out, Kyle Korver has a brilliant article that he wrote. He's a white basketball player, but he talked about structural racism, etc. And what he's learned from his uh, fellow athletes, etc. So uh, applaud the, the folks who do great work. Uh, and so David, thanks for joining us, man. Everybody check out David's articles on, on News One, they're really brilliant. Thank you so much for, uh, for uh, coming on The Young Turks and talking about it. Oh, for sure. Thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, an accomplished uh, state senator in North Carolina decides she's going to run for US Senate. Uh, but uh, the Democratic Party is concerned that she might not have enough cash. Ay, ay, ay. All right, let's talk to her when we come back. All right, back on the Young Turks. Join me now is Erica Smith. She's a candidate for the United States Senate. She is a current state senator in the great state of North Carolina. You're one of the more accomplished people in the race in terms of political career, you're a state senator. But it appears according to reporting that the Democratic Party is fishing around for other candidates. Let me start with this, how do you feel about that? Well, um, it doesn't surprise me because black women especially are underrepresented in politics. And so there are tremendous barriers for black women, but I don't use that as a limitation for my candidacy. I know that I am the most experienced candidate in the race. I've served longer than the um, Democratic, the other Democratic primary candidate has um, since he's been out of office. He hasn't served in elected office in 17 years. And I've been serving consistently nonstop for the last 17 years. So um, I, I'm excited about the diversity of experience that I bring from high tech experience in corporate America. And I know that what I gained navigating corporate America and um, the business acumen that I have been blessed with is what makes me the leading candidate. And the polls are showing that. I'm not surprised that um, there are other establishment Democrats looking for another candidate. But this is a new day and we're going to have to do things a new way, not only in North Carolina, but in these United States. If we're going to return integrity, humanity and common sense advocacy to Washington, D.C. Okay, Senator Smith, um, the reporting seems to indicate that the National Democratic Party is concerned about um, your fundraising ability, that you're not rich enough and you don't know enough rich people. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so, but this is this is what they do all across the country, uh, and they're obsessed with money. They think that's the only thing that matters. Uh, but isn't that, in a sense, 
racist. And so let me let me explain why I say that. Because African Americans in this country are born with about 10% of the net worth of white families. And, and by the way, that's a generous number. And so yes. if the Democratic Party on a national level is saying we are going to always pick the richer candidate, by definition, doesn't that discriminate massively against African Americans across the country? I agree. There is a wealth gap between African Americans and the predominant culture, but that's because of the systemic holdover from racism. First, let me go ahead and dispel what I feel about wealth. We are a democracy. We are not a plutocracy. We see what having this country run by wealthy people, many whom lack the experience. I won't call out any names, but we have someone who has been in business but filed bankruptcy how many times? And now he's leading the greatest country in the free world. And so um, there's too much big money in politics. And so these candidates, and that's what's resulted in the failed leadership that we have in Washington, D.C. and in many in our state houses. Because money doesn't vote, people do. And I think that at this juncture in our nation's history, we have seen what a plutocracy has done. Um, when we have candidates who are controlled by special interests, they're controlled by dark money. They don't put people first. But when you have a candidate like myself who is governed by principles and putting people first, then we will see the type of leadership that we need to get this nation moving in the right direction. Um, I would love to see how awkward that uh, Senate uh, caucus room is uh, when you're in there with <laughs> Chuck Schumer. Uh, <laughs> Chuck Schumer is going around running against, uh, trying to make sure progressives don't win these Senate seats all across the country. So, all right, you're uh, you don't take corporate PAC money. Uh, I don't. Uh, what what are some of your other policy positions? Well, I have a six-point lesson plan now because it's higher level. Once again, Tom Tillis has inspired me with his failed leadership. I often say, I don't know whether to call him um, a Disney character. I have to figure out which one, whether it's going to be Flipper the Dolphin or if it's going to be Pinocchio. Because he backtracks instead of taking a stand. I mean, even as recently as it relates to um, Trump's border wall, we have lost $80 million in funding for our military installations. And it's a sad reality when we have our sitting senator not stand by the men and women who defend this country. But my six point lesson plan is very brief it includes economic expansion, education equity, equitable health care. Everyone should have access to free health care. And I have to go on about this because you and I, we go to work, we work hard every day, we pay our taxes so that 435 members of the House will have good insurance. We go to work, we pay our taxes so 100 US senators can have good access to health care. So if we go to work every day and we pay our taxes so that they can have good health care, why can't they go to work to fight for every American to have access to universal health care with prescription? prescription drug controls and to make sure that people are not rationing their insulin so that they can put food on the table. We have a lot of work to do as it relates to equal justice, to um, criminal justice reforms, to make sure that we are not over incarcerating demographics of people. Um, and so I am a big proponent of equal work, 
for equal pay. As a mechanical engineer in corporate America, we need to make sure that we have men and women with pay parity, but not only between gender pay equity, but we also need to look at demographics because African-American women only earn 61 cent on the dollar of a white male. And last but not least, as an engineer, engineers not only study what is, but they also create that which has never been. And so I have a platform of re-engineering policies for progress. We need to look at this so-called 2018 Tax and Jobs Act that resulted in taking money away from the poor to give the wealthy 1% more. Um, in those re-engineering policies, it includes comprehensive immigration reform as well as comprehensive gun control. And I'm wearing my orange ribbon. I don't think you can see it, but yeah, we see it. It's a Sad reality, um, Jink, when you lose students to gun violence, um, when, when at the beginning of a school year, my colleagues, we spend more time with active shooter training than we um, spend with unwrapping the curriculum so that we can train our students to be successful in life and in career and in college. Senator Smith, my thesis is that the overall problem is corruption. So whether it's the fossil yes. fuel companies that buy off these US senators and Congress people, or it's the NRA, we have a pledge called tyt.com slash never NRA, that if a politician ever takes money from the NRA, you should never vote for them. Because it could be, you could be in favor of gun rights, especially in a state like North Carolina. But we gotta yes. know that you're honest and you're doing it because of the voters and not because you took money from the NRA. So is the heart, is, what's your take on that? Having been in state politics, et cetera, how much does that, those campaign donations corrupt politics? I feel like they really very much corrupt politics. And that's why we have the corrupt legislators that we have in office now. Let me share this with you. Tom Tillis is one of the top recipients of NRA money. Tom Tillis gets $4.5 million from the NRA. My opponent, Cal Cunningham, has an A rating by the NRA. And he also helped to pass pro-friendly gun legislation when he was in one term in the North Carolina Senate. You know what the NRA gets from me? The NRA, our NRA gets from me, they get gun control. <laughs> they get common sense um, proposals like covering red flag laws, universal background checks. That's what the NRA gets from me. And so what they have given me in return is a zero. In my three terms as a North Carolina senator, I have received a grade of zero from the NRA. And I wear that letter grade, I wear that F with pride. Because that means that I want to put the lives and the safety of the public ahead of special interest money. My votes are not for sale. I am unbought and I am unbossed. That's why I have a lot of concern with um the powers that be in the establishment sending a lot of money in to get candidates who are not progressive to represent us. We are the big tent party. We are the party of progress. We are the party of inclusion and we need to start acting like it. And so I am going to fight and I need everyone else to join us in this fight. It's a lot of grassroots organizations that have come out to support me and I'm really happy about that. But it's gonna take tons of money. 
Um, they've placed, the, the NSRC has placed these billboards showing me with members of the squad. Um, they've started placing them all over North Carolina. And I don't know what their strategy is, but if I'm too liberal because I listen to constituents and place people first, if I'm too liberal because I refuse to accept special interest money, and especially from the NRA, if I'm too liberal because I have an A rating in terms of the environment, I've been Senator of the Year for two consecutive sessions by the environmental um, advocacy groups. And, and I wear that with pride because I'm for a brighter future for these United States, for fellow North Carolinians, and for this nation as a whole. All right, I love it. EricaForUs.com is a website. Uh, and we will have the links down below to donate and to volunteer. If you don't take corporate PAC money, you need uh, small dollar donations, you need volunteers. <laughs> you need tons of them, yeah. Yes, so <laughs> let's get out there and make that happen. Don't let Chuck Schumer pick these corporate guys with A ratings from the NRA, allies of the NRA. Uh, what's the point of getting them in the US Senate if they're, not, if they're just gonna agree with Republicans? So uh, Erica right. Smith, state senator. I love that you went old school on unbought and unbossed. <laughs> unbossed, Shirley Chisholm, unbought right. and unbossed. Our <laughs> votes are not for sale. That, Thank exactly you so right. much, glad to join you tonight. Thank you, Erica Smith, we appreciate it. Take care. You too. All right, so uh, when we come back live and free to everybody, uh, John and Anna are gonna take your questions on YouTube Super Chat. So get them ready, uh, warm it up. Uh, we do different questions sometimes when we're uh, available uh, to everyone. Normally the last half hour is just for members, tyt.com slash join. Uh, but it'll be available to everybody today. Uh, but the questions only come from YouTube Super Chat. All right, fun show for everybody. Uh, I'll see you guys on the road soon. All right, be right back.